0: Steel and more. Superman homepage.com. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leave tall buildings in a single bound. This amazing space. The, the man of steel. Who are you? A friend. Look. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Superman! It's, it's... Superman! 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 This looks like a job for Superman. Superman Forever Radio, the weekly podcast devoted to the Man of Steel. Hi there. I'm J. David Weider, I'm your mild-mannered host, and this is Superman Forever Radio, where anything can happen while looking at the world of Superman. This is episode 60, which was to be the final installment of Superman Forever Goes to the Movies Month, and it was to be a commentary of the film Superman vs. the Elite. But, something changed. Like the first two installments, I reread the source material before sitting down to record, and it really hit me. Most of the comments that I would have made during the movie would have been defending the original story. Um, talking about how what it what it meant to me you know the comic itself and it, it would, my comments wouldn't really be aimed at the movie so why not drop a commentary and really mount a defense for what this story meant to me why it probably led well not probably very much led to this show. especially after my call to arms in episode 54, I felt like I should step up. So, my basic thoughts on the movie to quell that bit of curiosity within you. Superman looks like Stan from American Dad. Polly Perrette was an excellent Lois Lane. The opening credit sequence was absolutely out of place. And the the movie managed to be preachy. Well, basically gutting the basic case behind its preachiness. And that about covers any real comments pertaining to the movie itself. It was alright. As for the source material action comics 775 that is what we will be talking about and you know i'm the host producer of the show i can change my mind it's my prerogative but we're going to be getting into that momentarily right after we take this quick break and play a podcast promo for hey kids comics Hey Michael! Hey Dad! We need to record another promo! Another promo? Okay. Yes, another promo! What are we gonna promote this time? We are going to celebrate Superman's 75th birthday! 75, 75 years! 75 years! Well, how are we gonna do this? I've got this wacky idea now, bear with me, bear with Come me! On. I think we should read some Superman comics. You okay? And then we should talk about those Superman comics. But I'm sold. It's revolutionary. Indeed. It's never been done. Nope. And we should share it with all these lovely people. We should Um, share it with all these lovely people every Thursday. Yes. At tutruefreaks.libsen.com. Yes, for seven weeks, Hey Kids Comics will be celebrating Superman's 75th birthday. Starting from the 7th of February 2013. Join us, won't you? And that is the excellent Elvis Costello playing us in with a song written by Nick Lowe called What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. And Which inspired the title of the story we will be looking at this week, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way, from Action Comics 775. Now this issue came to us on January 31st, 2001, with a March cover date, which is ironic because, uh, kind of peek behind the curtain, I'm actually recording this on February 1st, and I kind of did some notes last night, so I was literally doing notes on the 12th anniversary of this issue. But it had a Tim Bradstreet cover, and inside was a whopping 48 total pages. 39 of those were dedicated to this story. The issue was written by Joe Kelly, penciled by Doug Monkey, with a huge host of inkers that would take up half the show to read to you. I'm not going to defend Joe Kelly's total run on Superman as a whole. Kelly actually is a good writer. He's just, he's just not suited to straightforward superhero fare. He did go on to write I Killed Giants, which was excellent. It was an excellent comic. But the standard superhero tale kind of rests just outside his wheelhouse a bit. For a little context um, on what was on shelves Superman family-wise, Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis were attempting to reinvent the post-crisis Krypton back to its Silver Age version in Superman 166 that very month. Uh, Joe Casey was writing The Adventures of Superman, and the Man of Steel teamed up with Stars and Stripes and Superman Man of Steel 110. And Peter David was still writing Supergirl, and she was wearing her animated series-style costume. Or, if you prefer, on the Marvel side, Colossus made a tragic decision to save many from the legacy virus in X-Men, uh, Uncanny X-Men 390, which resulted in the character's death. He got better. A Gambit-Bishop team-up series debuted. Yep, that happened. And the series that Joe Kelly made his name on, Deadpool, hit 50 issues. As for me, because I think, with especially with this, context is important. Especially when we're talking about the first impression a book made. I was working at a kind of a higher-end deli department of a local grocery store. And it would have been right around the time I was venturing back into comics, thanks to Superman for All Seasons, as I mentioned in episode 50... For some reason, those were sitting on the shelves for who knows how many years. But that meant uh, kind of getting back into the regular Superman comics. And luckily, the story carried quite a bit of them. They had a surprisingly huge and diverse magazine rack and, and novel rack. And it didn't hit me until recently why there was such an extensive reading selection. Uh, but the deli itself was kind of branded as a bistro. So we serve, you know, coffee, coffee. Um, Gourmet, with quotation marks, food, um, sandwiches with fresh cut meat. And so it had this extensive seating area off of it as well. So it could stand alone, almost like a restaurant. So they were kind of aiming to make this sophisticated eating spot within the grocery store, this weird oasis, if you will. Now I benefited from that because I got first crack at the comics. When I saw stuff I liked, I would hold it back until payday and then load up. Which now I kind of feel like maybe that was a little bit of douchebaggery. But back issues in comics, even though these are because I feel New Stand is borderline back issue, I've always described that as a mercenary game. You may not like a retailer, but you'll go to it because they have a back issue you need for a good price. So it is what it is. A little bit of a cutthroat, into, um, cutthroat hobby, but eh, I can't really fret about something 12 years ago. But it was a sweet gig. Now I say all of that to say this: I balked at this issue. I passed it over, despite my Superman euphoria that had kind of been reignited with Superman for All Seasons, and happening upon an airing of Superman the Movie on I AMC, AMC America Movie Classics. Because this really didn't re- it just didn't register for me. It just I didn't like the Brad Street cover. It looked a little rough. And you know, the honest truth is, I still don't like the Bradstreet cover. I don't know that I really like Bradstreet. But the story itself endeared itself to me when I finally did grab the book on my lunch break for just a little bit of light reading. Is it perfect? No. And to defend something or to kind of state its qualities or what you like about it, be prepared to also admit its faults. Now... Did this book say a lot in terms of my growing state as a Superman apologist and unrequited fan? Yes, very much so. It definitely lit a fuse under me, I can tell you that. I can tell you that. To give you the basic plot of the issue, the Elite, a group of hyper-violent anti-heroes, make their presence known to the world with their fatal and over-the-top methods of dealing with villains. The team consists of leader Manchester Black, a powerful psychic and telekinetic, Coldcast who can manipulate the electromagnetic spectrum in ways that would make Magneto blush, Menagerie who wears alien symbiotes and wields them as weapons, and the Hat who has a magical hat capable of pretty much everything and anything. Together with their living ship Bunny, which is a bacterial colony, the Elite leave a trail of villain carcasses and property damage and collateral damage globally. While the public starts to embrace the Elites, the ends justify the means mentality, Superman runs into conflict because of his tried and true way of heroing, which even the general public is finding out of step with the modern world. Finally, it comes down to a duel between Superman and the Five, a fight that even Superman doesn't know if he can win. And for a brief moment, it looks like the Man of Steel succumbs to the lethal tactics of the Elite before the revelation that he has systematically created that illusion – while giving the team nothing more than minor concussions at best. Standing in defeat, Manchester Black tells Superman that he should have killed them, because they will find him one day, and they won't stop until they do. Superman, in turn, tells Black that until the day that dignity, honor, and justice become the reality that we all share, he'll never stop fighting. Ever. Ever. This issue, I've seen quite a bit lately getting a lot of dislike. Um, some of it's deserved. I'm not a fan of the art, on the cover or internally. I think Monkey's art is suffering from a lot of the various inking styles and creates an inconsistent experience. But, for all of the lackluster issues in Joe Kelly's run and how overshadowed it was by Loeb Superman work, this issue nailed it. It said something no other writer was saying, at least they weren't saying it publicly, Behind the scenes, Grant Morrison, Mark Wade, and Mark Millar were calling for a dramatic incontinuity reboot. Part of their Superman 2000 pitch included dissolving the marriage to Lois and Superman, and Superman becoming a vegetarian because he can see auras. But the impetus behind their pitch was that every 15 years or so, a character must be updated to keep up with the times. Another pitch was passed on in favor of Jeff Loeb's more organic update to the tone and environment of Superman's world. But the pitch and Loeb's tone shift show that DC was looking to reinvigorate Superman again after 60 years. And here was Joe Kelly saying, what is there to update? Here's some further context for you behind the book. Think about where comics as a whole were, really, at the time. They were just back on track after the crash of the 90s spectator market. Fans were coming back and books like Transmetropolitan were bringing in a different, a different type of reader, a different sensibility to comic readers. And the writer of that book, Warren Ellis, also brought his sort of sardonic, unique writing style to superheroes with The Authority. And it was that comic that inspired this very story. Before I start on talking about The Authority, let me be clear about something. I'm not here to bash The Authority or Warren Ellis. I'm actually a fan of both. Um, highly recommend Trans Metropolitan, and if you get a chance, check out Warren Ellis' tra- um, prose novel Crooked Little Vein, one of the best novels I've read in years, honestly and I do believe and part of the foundation of what I'm saying today is this belief that there should be a diverse range of genres and tones both to comic book material and to fandom so there's enough room for all of that what I am doing is contrasting Superman against the tone of the authority because that's what's in context with the issue and it's a strong strong contrast to say the least the authority was spun partly out of the Wildstorm series Stormwatch in 1999 we had a few Justice League analogs in there in the form of Apollo and Midnighter but for the most part it was this thinking outside the box version of superheroes and the violence was to be on a widescreen scale oops than Mike. Sorry about that. But the book was meant to be provocative. It was meant to push these boundaries and do something different. And it was a great outlet to do so. Ellis wasn't crapping on established heroes, at least not in the way I read it. He had a few jokes at their expense. But it was a new creation, and the tone was meant to be different. It was meant to shock people. After all, the series starts with Moscow being blown up. And it would progress to the team taking over the government and taking on God at one point. And the Superman analog Apollo, a sun god, and the Batman analog Midnighter were lovers. That had to have given a leg up to the slash fiction writers, don't you think? But the book was huge. And it had a lot of faithful hardcore fans. But while I believe that there was and is room for a book like The Authority... It definitely went against the Superman template. And you saw editors wanting a more authority feel to these mainstream heroes. Because, let's be honest, that's what sold. That's what was selling. That was what was generating the profit in a time when Marvel was barely recovering from bankruptcy. And DC sales were down. That's the honest truth. But the Superman detractors had another bit of ammunition to throw at Superman fans. On a near daily basis, when any Superman states that the Man of Steel, that's their jam, it gets inevitably met with Superman sucks, Batman is cooler, Marvel is cooler, Deadpool is cooler, and any conversation seems to become us versus them. Why? What is so funny about truth, justice, and the American way? And that last part is, it's not meant as a political statement. Because when I say the American way in the context of Superman, to me, that means we all get a fair shot to pursue our dreams. Is the American way perfect? No. No. That's the reality. Do we have the ability to make it better? Yes. But the fact that we enter into these debates that we can have diverging opinions and defend our opinions without resorting to beating somebody down with a jawbone as part of the American experience. But I draw the line at attacks. And you know the whole thing about opinions and other body parts. We've all got one. Now, as much as I would prefer to just like what I like and be left at that, it's not really looking like it's going to happen. Now, to tie these little mini-rants into a point, and the point that I've set out to make for years the point that this book set me on the path the the point that this book makes I never took the authority to be an admonishment or outright parody of mainstream superheroes or Superman I took it as another take on the genre that tried to do different things with the archetypes and went about it in a different way with a few friendly pokes to the rib here and there but it caught fire And as I mentioned, the editorial and sales executives wanted to see more of an authority feel to mainstream books. Think outside the box. It's much like they wanted guns with swords and gritty violence in the 80s and the 90s. This is Todd McFarlane saying, read Span. Turn out your lights. Hi, Rob Liefeld here saying a sword is better with a gun on it and it isn't a belt without a million pouches. The problem is this. Superman isn't suited to that breed of superhero. Nor is Batman nor Wonder Woman, and these characters have survived as long as they have in large part because they are not that breed of hero. And I can prove this with my normal, flawless logic. You can hand a child an old issue of Superman without too much cause for concern. And this also echoes for Batman, Wonder Woman, and some of the more familiar heroes. Now this in turn allows these children to be influenced young, hand an eight-year-old a copy of The Authority. And they may try to tie their teacher up and stage a playground takeover with robot versions of Richard Nixon with a stutter. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. But starting them young is key to Superman survival because child fans have a better chance of becoming adult fans. And yet The Authority did develop into a bit of an anti-Superman playbook since Apollo had no issue with killing permanently solving the problem of recurring villainy. This isn't a fault of the book. It's a fault of the influence and the interpretation of the book. And fans were looking for heroes like the authority and leaving heroes like Superman behind. This was a familiar scenario. And think about where we were with Superman. He was out of the mainstream media. We were fresh off the 90s grim and gritty wave, where Superman occasionally flirted with that style, and let's be honest, You didn't forget about the black costume and the big gun and the long hair, did you? Not that the long hair was directly a response, but it's hard to argue that it wasn't influenced in part by the tone of the time. But this was the 21st century. And fandom of books like The Authority had a new form, a new way to organize, a new way to express these sentiments, and that was the internet. And Joe Kelly saw the need to defend Superman. And he had a bigger forum, and that was Action Comics. In Action Comics, this issue was named by Wizard Magazine the best single issue of a comic book written in 2001. Why is that? Because Joe Kelly said it. He said the thing nobody else in the crowd was willing or able to say, and that is, Superman ain't broken. He didn't reboot the character. He didn't change his costumes. In fact... The issue really sticks to the basic template of Superman mythology, which is why it works. And sadly, sadly, it needed to be said. Superman needed to be defended. As I mentioned, he wasn't in the mainstream media. We were a few years out from the end of Lois and Clark, the end of Superman the Animated Series. There was a Superman movie by Tim Burton in Development Hell, which check out Kevin Smith's interpretation of those events. The Justice League cartoon hadn't debuted yet. And the important thing is, and I really hate to say this, but I'm going to be completely honest. This was pre-9-11. We took a lot of things for granted. And when the tragedy of the Twin Towers occurred, there was this brief, very public, outpouring the swell of Americana and flags hanging a spirit of helping our fellow man, and it was so brief and there were a lot of exceptions to this. But the big push in the months after September 11th were filled with this movement towards things like the Norman Rockwell version of the U.S. We wanted to feel safe again because we, as, as a country, hadn't seen anything like this on this scale. And before pre, uh, before, those tra- before the tragedy, the news was filled with things like Gary Condit and his scandal with Chandra Levy, election recounts, and of course, the standard celebrity whatnot. And so after that, the hyperviolent over the top nature of the authority actually ended up becoming a bit out of step with a nation dealing with the after effects of the Twin Towers. But this was before that, when we were somewhat blissfully unaware as to what was to come. And Superman's sale of hero was passe. That is exactly the bull that Joe Kelly takes by the horns and unabashedly defends. Superman being passé, out of touch, a Boy Scout. And I, at about 23, ate it up. And I took on the fight. I took on that need to defend. And it wasn't a coincidence. I just don't feel it was a coincidence that right after reading this issue in Superman for All Seasons, um, after seeing that movie, that I suddenly saw my mission and... I made the original version of Superman Forever, which was a homestead site. Kind of like a GeoCities where you could put a site together from a template. So what was it about this issue that sparked the Superman apologist, copyright Michael Bailey, in me nearly a decade before I learned the phrase from Michael Bailey? Let me open the book and highlight some scenes and some bits that I want to talk about. Hmm, maybe I shouldn't leave that in the mylar so long. What I have done since this is, uh, this episode as I mentioned was to be a commentary is I've jotted down my notes on a on a notebook paper. So me, pen, paper, and the book. So bear with me, they're probably not as organized as I would probably normally put it. but um, just kind of opening the issues starting on pages two and three. Uh, well, beginning with the, we basically start midstream. Superman's flying towards this disaster in Tripoli, and on pages two and three, this big two-page splash immediately drops us into the story with this big scale and this over-the-top violence. Because what we see here is this alien—I uh, don't I assume it's an alien. It's a giant gorilla carcass, cyborg gorilla carcass with a huge gun that has a hole blown through it in its chest. It's it's wide open, and Of course, my big question is, where do you get a gun that big? But ultimately, it's on such a scale that you don't realize until you're looking very closely at it that Superman is this little bitty speck. So Kelly drops us in. He's showing us the handiwork of the elite. They're not seen. Um, We don't see them until almost midway through the issue, and that's kind of how it needs to be. Because we need to set this up as... The Elite are a threat. On page four, we find out that all of this, the disaster, took place in four minutes. Basically, the Elite swooped in and totally wrecked this villain in all of four minutes. And the Star, the Daily Star, which Jack Ryder works for, embraces and promotes the Elite. They're pretty much putting it out there as propaganda. And you know why? Because the paper that that kind of material sells papers um the planet of course the daily planet our good old perry white jimmy olsen lois lane they remain objective but they mentioned that there this is so big two thousand soldiers were killed and we had massive massive collateral damage because the gorilla is as big as a small town really you know a one stoplight town this gorilla would dwarf um reactions we're still getting reactions we haven't seen the elite but we're getting this build up of how dangerous they are on pages 5 and 6 because we have Jack Ryder aka the Creeper which is interesting because he's a bit of an agent of chaos isn't he? and he's the one that's writing the great story pieces for the star supporting them but here's the deal this is the hard thing to admit that a case is kind of made Jack Ryder is a big supporter of the elite and Clark, who's on, on the scene, says, How can you portray these murderers as heroes? To which Jack says, The elite stopped it. Cold, period. Smells like hero to me. To which Clark is arguing the situation could have been contained without a single life loss. Superman could have... Jack cuts him off. Superman? That would have been great. Enough monkey business, guys. I'm taking you down to your, and your terrorist chums downtown for a spanking. And three months three months later, it would happen all over again. The world is sick and broken, Kent. People want someone to fix it, not hand out slogans and bandages. The age of Superman is over. Viva the elite. We, as a society, if we're facing reality, see terrible things every day. And what we want is not to see a jail with a revolving door. Um, which is prevalent in comics. I mean, honestly, the gorilla is not going to get up and, and punch anybody. But the thing is, you know, you that's giving up. That is giving up. And it's easier to say within the comic book podcast than the real world. But just killing the gorilla and saying, okay, done. Problem solved. Gives no sense of hope or potential. You know, take Lex Luthor. Superman has taken him down again and again and again. He escapes from jail. Or, you know, even Batman and the Penguin. And the no-killing rule really does mean that this is going to keep happening again and again and again, potentially. But what if Lex Luthor could be redeemed? What if he could work on that cure for cancer? What is the world missing out on because these villains are getting killed? As I mentioned, easier to talk about in... The fictional context in the real world. Um, On pages 6, we have President, then-President Lex Luthor reacting. And Amanda basically says, Amanda Waller, that these elite are so powerful that Superman would need, and I quote, a jetpack and the space shuttle to even consider scoring that high. Unquote. And she's talking about the Palmer Meta scale. And of course, Lex Luthor is kind of psyched by that. The scene that really meant a lot to me, where it kind of caught my attention and I realized what was happening, occurs here on page eight. Where Superman is hanging out with steel in the Fortress of Solitude. He's washing his face and he quietly says, John, do you think the world has moved on? A, that means the elite is getting to it. Superman can hear everything these people are saying in the world. And he has to almost acknowledge that it's kind of how he is viewed in the comic spectrum. Has the world moved on? He's asking the question that is hard to really ask. It's hard to admit that a lot of fans have moved on to things like The Authority. Um but they got under his skin and Superman is really facing this internal struggle for those that say well you can't really do anything with a man who is invincible there you go internal struggle it's called pathos it's good drama as opposed to violence and more anyway that was for you Dan Didio Um, on pages 11-12 we don't just see the aftermath of the elite's work we see these villains that show up Slaughtered in two pages. So it's almost like a camera starting on a very tight shot. And then pulling back to do the full revelation. We saw the aftermath with the grill in Tripoli. And now we see the handiwork on these two pages. And finally, we meet the elite. And as I mentioned, I'm not a big fan of, Don- of Monkey's work. Uh, Manchester Black, though, I do dig. I dig as a character. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that kind of after I go through the book here. Um, But Manchester Black has a speech that challenges fandom. And I, I say that with a little bit of humility. And Manchester Black mentions, yeah, he once believed in heroes as a kid. And then he makes this point. Good pounding the snot out of evil in bright tights, no questions, no gray areas. It was a perfect bloody dream for a boy who lost a mother to lung cancer and a father to Adolf, and then I woke up. Masks are for hiding. Capes are for play. Villains don't share their plans before they smoke you, except in campaign speeches or the pulpit in, or in front of a classroom. The reality is a mite, pardon me, reality is a mite bloodier than sitcoms or comics. The gray stretch out further. So... Manchester Black talks about losing his mother. And he talks about his his sister losing her hands. Um, he had to eat his dog to survive. And the thing is, it puts down a gauntlet. Because if you look at Superman's childhood, he had a very normal, easy... Way of things. He lived with a great set of parents who took good care of him and showed him love on a farm. He had, especially in this being post crisis, he had a fairly normal upbringing as long as he kept his head down about his powers. What if that had gone the other way? Manchester Black and Superman aren't very different. They're both super powerful who had different backgrounds. So it's almost a razor's edge of it could have gone either way. And it's something Dan Slott was talking about. When he chose, you know, putting Doc Ock into the Spider-Man costume, which I'm not going to put a spoiler warning on because this is the end of February, so by now everybody should know this. That you know, these two characters were the same, and the flip side, which makes for good villain and hero relationships. And then I move on to page 17, in which Paul and Clark are talking about them, and Paul is talking about how much you know he believes in them, but. This is another generation gap. This is another comment as far as old fans, older fans versus younger fans. Because as if you go back to the Man of Steel, it talks about Paul Kent inspired being inspired to do to make Clark's costume based on the mystery men he saw. You know, Dr. Midnight, the Golden Age Flash. He comes from that generation where yeah, as Manchester Black pointed, no grayer as everything was a little bit brighter. But here's the further thing. While Pa looks at Clark and says, oh, if you need to, you can kick their butts to Kingdom Come. In fact, he doesn't use that line. It was substituted in the movie. And then the panel ends with him saying, Clark, you can beat them if it goes that way, can't you? And Clark doesn't respond. Clark is beginning to doubt himself. (sighs) And, and, And you know... It's easy as a fan, as somebody who does passionately believe in a a character or a piece of material to be argued into a corner and start realizing, I don't know if I can argue my way out. And here's the thing. I mean, sometimes people aren't going to hear what you have to say. Be prepared for that. If you're going to defend a character, whether it's Superman or any other character or, you know, a belief system. People are sometimes just not going to hear you because they don't want to. Because they have, you know, this this tight grip on what they want to perceive. So if somebody doesn't want to look at Superman as a valid character, as a good character, as a character worth reading, sometimes you're just not going to be able to push that. Don't be discouraged. Because it's not about trying to convince people. Yes, I would love to make other Superman fans. That's why I do this show is to defend it, to present material, to kind of entice people to look into the character itself. But if somebody listens to the show and says, not for me, well, fair enough. You know, it's not for everyone. But getting off the rails here, let me go back into the book here. Page 18 is probably the linchpin of the issue for me. It's only all of five panels. As Superman flies around the city, accidentally stalking because he does have the super hearing and whatnot, and listening to different conversations, talking a group of construction workers talking about the way the, the authority worked, or pardon me, the way the elite works. Um, a pair of women walking their dogs, talking about wouldn't it be easier if the if Superman was able to avenge Poopsie, their dog apparently when she was eaten by the Joker and this woman who's on the, th- on the finch, the thing that here's the panel, let me just skip right to it. A group of kids playing dress up and the kid dressed as Superman is upset. And there are, you know, the three kids dressed as members of the elite kid dressed as Superman says later for you guys, I'm going home. But you said you wanted to be Superman. And there's one kid that says last one calls Superman. Not it. Here's the punch to the gut. The kid says, I can't kill you, but you can kill me. How can I stop you if I can't kill? To which the Manchester black kid responds, You can't, so let us kill you, and you could be someone else. Being Superman is so beat. There were sentiments of fans, anti-Superman fans, being echoed here. This wasn't just pulled out of a pocket. This could be heard... um, If you go back to my Death of Superman episode, there was a clip from CNN I put in there about a kid talking about Superman being cheesy, out of date. That was something happening in comic shops and now on the internet, on forums, at cons. And it's not out of the question that this was maybe even a reflection of a real conversation. This was how sorry i had to take a drink this is how the fan community was seeing superman so we get into the conflict here superman has punched the hat which means there's going to be a duel and we have the second scene that stays with me the night before since they have it set up to duel at dawn superman is in bed with lois back when they were still married and thinking about what is to come um Thinking about wow, and all this, all the speed. I didn't get to think. <sighs> this is uh, part of the speech. Is Lois tell, has already told him. I think they can beat you. Superman's speech, which will echo, echo to me for a long time. And I just want to present it to you, really with no comment on the speech itself, because it speaks for itself. So Superman, laying in bed with Lois, says, "I heard a child." tell his friend that he wanted to be in the elite because it would be fun to kill bad guys. Fun to kill. People have to know that there's another way, Lois. They have to hear a voice of compassion and faith instead of spite and anger. They have to see that someone believes in humanity strongly enough and then Lois finishes to die for them and the two are quiet and embrace. And it made me think... Superman didn't have any preparation for Doomsday. Doomsday came out of nowhere. Had there been that preparation, this would have been probably the way it would play out. With it laying heavily on his mind that he's, tomorrow he's going to face something that very well could end him. And, I mean, think about the things in your life. You know, maybe it was a, a speech in class. That gave you the ner- you know gave you nervous. Now imagine that times eleven, and Superman is still willing to sh- to do this to show, to be an example of hope and goodness. And immediately, immediately, I'm reading this, I nodded my head and said, I nodded my head and said, "Damn right." And I still say that. So let me jump on um, to my final points on the book because we're kind of running low on time. We jump here to page 29 in which Manchester Black makes a long speech, which I think encapsulates Manchester Black's side of the equation in a way that Superman's speech encapsulated Superman. Manchester Black says, Rule number one, he who has the power makes the rules. No one hits one of my people and walks. Here's the important part, folks. This isn't about love. It's about removing the cancers that fester in us and flushing them down the toilet. The people don't want babysitters and spandex to slap them on the wrist when they're bad. they want surgeons to cut the ugly bits from them and charge them through the moral nose. Dr. Manchester Black at your service it's It's nihilistic it's in the real world in the real world we all we, we have to question does he have a point? There's a lot. Of bad, bad things that happen in the real world on a nearly daily basis. So we actually have to ask, does Manchester Black have a point? He will have a point, yes. Characters that are real people who share this sentiment, yes, he will always have a point. But there's always got to be someone like Superman to stand up and show that there is another way. That we can, as I mentioned, make the American way better. And the final two notes I have here is something that was left out of the movie is that Superman makes Manchester Black think that with the combination of x-ray, heat, and telescopic vision, he gave him an, a lobotomy to remove his psychic powers. And that's uh, they forget to clarify that he tells the truth. It... <laughs> Come on now, I thought you were leader types were supposed to be sharp. Here we go. For you, all I did was pop you with the equivalent of a focused concussion. By the time your powers come back, you'll be so hopped up on side dampers you won't be able to do a card trick. Superman, even at the risk of being killed, won't cross the line of doing a lobotomy because that's a violation. And before you even throw the argument of, well he executed the Phantom Zone villains, why not here? It's different. I'll tell you why. When he executed the Phantom Zone villains, there were no other superpowered characters. None. In that universe. Here, Captain Marvel can show up. Captain Adam can show up. Martian Manhunter. There are alternatives. So maybe in the real world, the allegory would be if we band together, if we stick together, and we support each other, Maybe we have a better chance of succeeding and making this world a better place. And then page thirty-seven. I have to jump back because I jumped ahead to thirty-eight. But thirty-seven is important to me. And that is when he, Manchester Black thinks that Superman has lobotomized him, he begins to cry and says, You can't can't do this. You you're Superman, you don't you don't do this. There's a part of, of Manchester Black. That believes in Superman. There's a part of him. There's that part that really wants to believe in Superman. He wants that world. That's the part that Superman just brought out. That's the part of of people that Superman looks for the good. That's the part that he inspires. And this would even be played out a little bit more in a storyline down the road called Ending Battle. And I'm not going to spoil too much, but Manchester Black was kind of wasted in that story. But it resonates that internally, Manchester Black believes in Superman. So he's standing there crying, and that's where we actually leave him for this issue. He's standing there crying like a little boy, Superman having spanked him down. And as I I loaned this to a friend of mine at work, he said, well, Superman just owned that house. And as I mentioned, you have to be able to accept some of the flaws in a book. For example, based on story logic, even though Superman beat the elite in on his terms and was seen by the world over that doesn't mean that the inspiration that the elite brought is gone it doesn't mean that the dislike of superman is gone will it sway a few minds to show that there's an alternative yes but it doesn't change everything unfortunately and as i mentioned i love manchester black and I hate that he was wasted the way he was in, in ending battle, which was kind of structured a bit like Nightfall was for the for Batman, in which a lot of villains were thrown at Superman all at once. And uh, then the concept of the Manchester Black was somewhat, or of the of the Elite was spun off into JL Justice League Elite, which apparently I have a second printing of this book. It has a promo for, and. <laughs> I just I feel like the defense here was important. It was important for me to talk about because it resonates through this show. And it resonate it's something that has been on my mind because even recently, even in the last few days of recording this, once again I had to defend Superman. And there's not a lot of pro of, of books that really go out and say this versus that. It doesn't show There's not a lot of issues that show the detractors versus the supporters. And it can be argued that Kingdom Come did this. And you would be correct. The old ways versus the new ways Kingdom Come did do this. But the problem is Kingdom Come was this prestige format miniseries. It was out of continuity and out of context. This book dropped and it was there. It was part of the canon It was part of the standard monthly experience. And it said what needed to be said. So, as I mentioned, I I had to do another defense this week. And it brought up the inevitable question that was also raised by this material. Since it incited my desire to defend Superman, the question is, do I get sick of defending him? And defending the material? A little. And this doesn't mean I'm going to stop by any means, but it's not because I... I think the material isn't worth defending and not because I'm incapable of defending it. It's more that it almost any and all mentions of my fandom provokes an attack if I'm outside this show or my circle of friends. Why is it that my enjoyment and respect for something which involves me reading, watching, listening to material in private is so offensive? I'm not even dragging anyone into it or cramming it down their throats. Why does the material that enchants me need to be defended? Why is that? Why do other fans feel the desire to tear down my fandom to build theirs up? They don't have to come in and piss on my long longbacks to, des- to exalt their own. And I can always respect and understand when somebody has a different taste in material than I do, and they simply say, it's not my thing. I don't feel the need to defend against that. That's coexisting with other fans, and fandom is big enough to hold us all. Unfortunately, that respectful dissent isn't the normal experience I have. It's the standard Superman sucks, followed by a barrage of ways that Batman or X-Men are better. And half the time, it's not provoked. All I have to do is show up and wear a Superman t-shirt. So I'm going to throw this down. This is my response to those people. And obviously, the audience of this show is probably accepted. But it's a bit indignant, and I need this catharsis and i'm sure a lot of you will share my thoughts and opinions what i have to say to those people is this it's really great that you read and like batman wolverine deadpool any other superhero comic that you want to throw in here i support that i'm glad you like superhero comics but you are existing in the house that superman built because he was the first superhero With the superhero genre standing as the most dominant presence in the field of comics, it's Superman who built the foundation and the walls and the roof. There would not be a superhero genre if Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster hadn't put a red S in a shield and a cape on a man who could bounce bullets off his chest. And you could play your what-ifs. Well, you don't know that. What if they hadn't the superhero genre? That's great, your what-ifs are great, but guess what? That's not the way it happened. Now, if you want to throw terms like cliché, outdated, and cheesy at Superman, that's cool. He's Superman. He can take it. But he's cliché because he's the original. He's not outdated. He's a classic that has sold more books, DVDs, action figures, and assorted merchandise than any other character on the market. Why is that? Because he's been around longer than they have. And until the New 52, he had two books that were in continuous publication for decades, a feat shared by very few other characters. This happened across wars, generation presidents, scandals, and more. And how is it cheesy to simply help other people when it's a talent you possess? Why is it a shame to stand up and stick your neck out with the only conflict being how can I do more? I don't see the problem with selflessness, or positivity, or idealism. We could use that in the real world where people shoot up schools and movie theaters. So, enjoy your heroes... But if you're coming to the superhero genre, wipe your feet, mind your manners, because the superhero genre is the party that Superman threw. Everyone else is just a guest. And Action Comics 775 inspired that sentiment. It said what needed to be said, and I'm going to repeat it, and I'll repeat it again and again and again. Superman ain't broken. That's my statement. That's the mission statement of this show. And I said a lot of this to say that. So with that, I'm going to wrap up. Um, sorry for my rant. It was cathartic, and I I just needed to get it off my chest. So until next time, I am J. David Weeder Keep on fighting the never-ending battle. This has been Superman Forever Radio, a Nat World production you can find the show on iTunes with backlogs of episodes, where you can also leave a review. The show finds its home at supermanforever.com, and is a very proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. You can friend the show on Facebook at, at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio, and email the show at mail at com. David can be found on Twitter at twitter.com slash superdaveweeder. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties belonging to DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters, the distinctive likenesses thereof, are all properties of Warner Brothers Entertainment and DC Entertainment. All music and sound clips used on the show are copyright their respective owners and no infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster.